We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. On today's episode of Setting the Pace, we've got a lot of fun questions to answer. Fachi, what are we doing today? We are not delivering the mail, but we're reading the mail, an old-fashioned mailbag coming at you for the offseason. Absolutely. So we're going to answer the first six questions today on the mailbag. So Samuel Corbertson, Ricky Kelly, Matt Peck, Aaron M., John Byer, and Jonas Salk, your questions will be read on today's show. If you didn't hear your name, those will be coming to you soon because we're going to have as many parts of this mailbag as we can because we want to make sure that we answer these questions as thoroughly as possible. But Fachi, are you ready to get to the intro? Let's do it. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. everybody let's dive into that mailbag podcast Fachi hit me with question number one all right question number one coming from Samuel Colbertson he said what's your expectations for next year's roster same place we were this year or will we be good enough for the playoffs what's your guys opinion yeah I think there's going to be significant roster changes to this team I just feel like this is the offseason to do it Sam and to be honest with you I think expectations from this past year were over uh they overachieved what we had expected. So getting 35 wins after having just 25 the year before to me it feels like there's no way we don't get better. And there's a lot of question marks with the Eastern Conference Foch and, and what's going to happen here because the Hawks could blow it up, right? The mm-hmm. Raptors, who knows what happens there with Nick Nurse. And then you look at Miami, they're up 3 games to 1 right now as we speak against Milwaukee. You know, the Milwaukee's getting older. What's going to happen with that team? Does James Harden leave? I mean, we've, we've got so many different variables in the Eastern Conference. So I feel pretty confident in saying 
I think the Pacers make the playoffs next year. I, I'm that's without even knowing what kind of roster moves they're going to make. But I do think that just from internal growth and and adding one or two draft picks from this year's draft, I think that it feels pretty good to to lock them in for at minimum a play in spot. I'm right there with you. I do think this could be a major offseason for the Pacers. I know we had big expectations last year, but guys, the Pacers swung for the fences. It just didn't work out. However, now they've set themselves up where this could be one of the biggest offseasons in, in recent memory. I don't, I don't want to say ever, but I do think that this team is good enough to at least be 500 or better, even without major upgrades, because we saw ourselves in playoff position prior to Tyrese Halliburton go down against the Knicks. So I think if this team stays healthy, continues to develop from within, and you know maybe if they even just draft well, I think that we could perhaps be flirting with the sixth seed, but at least be a playing team. I mean, they were the sixth seed before Halliburton went mm-hmm. down with the injury. So I think that there is some promise there. You know Halliburton's going to get better. You know oh, yeah. Matherin, Andrew Nimhard, they're going to get better. You would hope Aaron Neesmith gets better. Now, I'm not going to bank on him making a drastic jump because I think we all expected much more from a guy like Jalen Smith who seemed to kind of have a bit of a I don't know if he I don't want to say that he like fell back but I will say like he didn't really seem to grow a ton yeah so maybe like a smidge better Foch but not much better and then you're and then you're talking about Duarte Isaiah Jackson like what guys are on the roster that's a big question mark we don't even know so we don't based on this roster though I think that there's a good chance to make it now I will I will say this in the offseason you can tell me if I'm wrong but it feels like and I believe this to be very true the biggest offseason of Kevin Pritchard's Pacers tenure no doubt about it. Look, there's been some big off seasons. I mean, you always think about Paul George being traded. That that was big, but for different reasons. It was big in terms of a, a shaking up. Okay, hey, I don't think that we're going to be contenders anymore. But I think that then you start to look at a, a few lackluster type off seasons, bringing in Tyreek Evans, you know, maybe some draft picks that really weren't moving the needle in a TJ Leaf or a Goga. But this this offseason, we are set up to be potential major players, whether it is in the draft, whether it is in free agency, the trade market. The Pacers have put themselves in a spot where this could be his biggest offseason yet. And that's the direction of the team is like, this is your chance right now to push this rebuild, re- whatever you want to call it, push us forward. And I think that for your point, it is the biggest offseason yet for him. Yeah, I, I think that the Paul George stuff is Hamas kind of for. Same with the Oladipo situation. Exactly. I mean, yeah, getting Brogdon was a pretty big offseason the same year they got T.J. Warren, right? So that was a pretty pretty nice offseason. But I think that we're in a different spot now because yeah. I don't think the pressure was on as much to make drastic changes at that point in time. I think that everyone was excited to see what they could do because the previous year before the Warren and Brogdon additions – you had Tyreek Evans and Darren Collison. So that's kind of like the positions they took for them and Bojan left that same season. So you did have some some changes coming. But I, I, I truly believe, though, that this offseason is super pivotal because of the amount of cap space that we have and because mm-hmm. Tyrese Halliburton is not on that max extension. So I think that my expectations have to be that much higher knowing that Kevin Pritchard has all these tools at his hands. Only thing that could stop us as if there's some drastic Kevin Durant trade again, but Ugh. I don't I don't see there being a dried up market by a star this offseason. I mean, the biggest name out there that probably could be on the move is Dame Lillard, 
But I don't really yeah. know how much of that stalls what we're trying to do because who out there really needs drastic change of point guards? That's feels like they can be a contender. I think it's a lot different because Kevin Durant is at a position that everybody superstar. in the NBA wants. Mm-hmm. Well, not even just superstar. I'm just saying a wing that can play the three and the four and sometimes even small ball five. Dame is a one. There's yeah. no doubt about that. He's playing nothing else. And, and and that's not a knock on Dame because he is a superstar, a different type of star than a Kevin Durant. But yes, that really did change the whole offseason. But to your point about having the salary cap space, where the Pacers have not been able to be major players in free agency, this is the time where not that many teams have cap space. And when you look at some of the teams that do have cap space, like a San Antonio, that has not been a premier destination for free agents before. So I would much rather be competing with the San Antonio when you got a young point guard like Tyrese Halliburton compared to, you know, some of the larger markets. For instance, if the Lakers had cap space or, mm-hmm. you know, any of those teams. So that's why I do think the Pacers are very much set up where this offseason the stars could align. Well, speaking of stars, let's move on to our next question here from Ricky Kelly. He said, do you think there's a chance for Benedict Matherin to become an all-star next year? What steps would need to happen for his development for the Pacers to have two all-star nominations, knowing Tyrese is going to be Tyrese? Look, the only scenario that I can think of where Matherin can be named an all-star next year is if the Pacers are somehow a top four seed. Winning has to factor in at that point because you got to imagine Tyrese Halliburton's going to be an all-star contention. It, so to have two all-stars, you really need to be kind of where Boston was with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Like you need to be, you know, that, I mean, James Harden didn't make the all-star game this year and Philly yeah. was one of the top teams. So you really need to be in that top three or four seeds. And I started to think back and I believe the last time we had two all-stars was Paul George and Roy Hibbert. Mm-hmm. Um, so we never even had Oladipo and Sabonis aligning as all-stars at the same time. So I think Matherin could very well be an all-star level talent, but I don't think that he'll be named an all-star next year. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I don't, I don't see it happening either. You don't usually see a lot of second year guys make no. the all-star team, maybe third year or beyond. Yeah. That's kind of when they start getting noticed. But I think, the thing with the the only benefit he might have is the actual All Star game is in Indiana, so there could be some like love there to like get another hometown guy in there, especially if, like you said, the Pacers are top four. But I think he's really gonna have to separate himself as the second best player on the Pacers, and because last year, you know, you could say it was Miles. You could make the case that you know Buddy Heald had moments where he was mm-hmm. a really good player, but you know, at that point, Miles with his stats being the second best player. That's not all-star level, and it, it's good. It's really good, but it's not all-star yet. So maybe maybe one day Miles will get there, and maybe we just haven't seen it yet, Foch. But I do believe that there's this point in time where we're going to see we're going to see Benedict Matherin get that opportunity. Will it be next year? I don't know. I think that's something really tough that we're going to have to look at. Yeah, I completely agree. It just feels a little too soon. I do think that this man is a future all-star, but he's got a long way to go on the defensive end, um, and that will be one of the biggest factors in if the Pacers are winning or not, is they got to play much better defense. But also, he's he still needs to improve drastically from three-point land. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that you know it's, it's not common for some smaller market teams to have two all-stars unless they got the wins to back it up. And I don't know if we're ready – 
to be in that top three, top four in the East. When think about this, the top three seeds in the East were the top three records in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, the East is heavy up top. It's, it's really front loaded. And we know the Pacers are going to have their hands tied just trying to get in there. I mean, look at the Cavaliers. They had a really good record, and they only got Donovan Mitchell. And before mm-hmm. that, they had Darius Garland and Jared Allen the year before. So I, I just think that at this point, we're going to have to figure out um, how Benedict Matherin can really take a major step. He's probably going to be like a 20 to 23-point game score as a starter with good shooting percentages, pretty good defensive numbers and the Pacers being a top team, which just seems very, very unrealistic, Fachi, for where we're at. It's got to be the perfect storm. And one thing that I looked at, it was either 42 or 44 players this year averaged 20 or more, an NBA record. Oh, wow. Over 40 players averaged over 20. So Benedict Matherin taking a step to 20 points per game would be awesome, Mm -hmm. but that is still definitely not enough. So uh, the win's got to be there. Absolutely. Let's move on to the next question. Fletch, do you got it? Next question, we got Matt Peck. Hey, Peck, hope you're doing well. He said, do you believe Rick Carlisle has a specific preferred style, or do you believe he can cater his team plan to the players he has available to him? With that in mind, do you believe he will still be the coach when the team turns the corner? Great question. Um, It's really hard to read what Carlisle's endgame is here. I think that what is he, 62, 63 years old, something like that? He's in his 60s for sure. So I, I still think that he can coach into his 70s. I don't think there's anything slowing him down. He seems like he's in pretty good health, um, aside from the amount of colds that he gets throughout the season, <laughs> which my dog is barking. If you can hear that, I apologize. Um, but uh, that that is one thing about Carlisle. He is a little bit older right now than most coaches. But I still think that he wants to see this thing through. I think that he came back to Indiana for a reason. There probably will be a front office spot available to him once he does officially step down. We'll see how long Kevin Pritchard stays in the front office. We'll see if bringing him on kind of like a consultant like they've done with Donnie Walsh and Larry Bird would be some kind of uh, place they put him in. I can see that for sure. I do think that Chad Buchanan will get the chance to run the team once Pritchard steps down because we've kind of seen that line of succession happen with the Pacers where it's like the GM steps down, the guy underneath him steps up and becomes the, the president, whatever. So I uh, I think that Carlisle's in a good spot, though, right now. And I really do believe that the way he's played this year, it does cater to the, the, the roster and what they have. But I think it's going to stay that way because you're building this roster based on how Tyrese Halliburton wants to play and what's the best way to make Tyrese the best of his ability. So at this point, playing faster with Tyrese kind of having the ball in his hands and being able to make you know the decisions, that is the smart way to go about continuing to play with this team now. If you happen to get two bigs again, <laughs> if you get Wimbenyama and Turner together, it will be a little bit more challenging to play fast. But I still think that those two guys are good enough to be able to play a faster pace style. And that's how I envision the NBA moving towards. It's just more fast pace. So um, I think the Pacers just got to keep riding it out until Halliburton says, hey, let's change it up. Yeah, and I, I did confirm Carl is 63 years old. He'll okay. be 64 in October. But from everything I've read, Carlisle has drastically cut back on calling plays. I feel that he's allowed the Pacers to run, you know, one of the faster paces in the league, shoot more threes than any year that I could remember for the Pacers. And I feel like he's a- adapted to that more than some of the other coaches. But I also feel like he is playing, he's coaching to the strengths 
of a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, just like you mentioned. And he would continue to do that. You know, obviously, if there is ever a situation where Victor's coming in, that's a player who's good enough where you make some changes. Well, but, you know, what do you got? Well, as I say, let's just go back two years and see how he tried to force him to play a certain style with Sabonis and Turner. And we and we noticed how Sabonis was significantly taken out of the offense or not yep. as involved as he was under Bjorkren. And we saw Sabonis have an awesome season under Bjorkren statistic-wise. But with Carlisle, it really felt like Carlisle was trying to make sure Sabonis knew, like, hey, you're not the guy. It's yep. kind of how it felt like he was coaching because – they were really doing a, a, a significant job of not allowing Sabonis to do the dribble handoff stuff all the time and having playing different roles. But then when they kind of had to go to that because of the Turner injury and stuff like that, and um, they were really struggling. They finally, like I think it was like 12 games into the season, if I am if I remember right, two years ago, they started playing more of the Sabonis style and they started winning more games. And it was just like, okay, your roster is what it is. and And that to me is like, we know Carlisle has coached enough different offenses through his out throughout his career and defense as well, but he's he's coached enough different rosters that he's going to be able to adapt to them. But like you said, and I'm sorry I cut you off, it's Not it's really. it's all about Halliburton and the style he wants to play and the style that benefits Halliburton the best. And, and going back to the point about Bjorkren, Bjorkren you know brought over his Toronto system and we didn't have the pieces for it. We didn't, and it was just at times it was rough, and you just saw it. It was like. Man, we we just you can't just plug in this system everywhere. It's just like not everybody can run the triangle. You know, it, it's right. just you have to play to your players' strengths. I think Rick has done a good job of that. Um, and you know, I, I very at the point of uh, will he be around? I think Rick Carlisle being his third stint in Indiana, he still has I believe at least two seasons left on his contract after this year. I think a it, it's up to him to he'll definitely see that contract through. B, I also think this team is ready to start winning. Because when you say turn it around, I, I think it was a pretty quick turnaround. We haven't gotten there yet. But I do think that they could be very much a play-in, play-off team next year and then still have another year on that contract. But I do think this is a situation where the Pacers will have a great deal of respect for Carlisle to let him make his decision, whether it is to you know step down and go into the front office, retire from the game, Whatever it is, I wouldn't see him getting, you know, let go at any point unless things really went south. And I think that would have to do with player relationships in specific, a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, which it seems like they have nothing but a great relationship. Yeah, I was just going to say once you finished up there, because that was kind of the thought that triggered my mind was how how do him and Halliburton get along? And right now it's great. Mm-hmm. So if they have this great relationship, I don't see Carlisle moving off of that anytime soon because... Like that was part of the problem that he had in Dallas is like he kind of butted heads with some of the players there. And exactly. then Luka was one of the guys that was reportedly someone he butted heads with as well. And so you're like, okay, I get it. Like coaches wear on people eventually, but Halliburton and him have like a totally different relationship than he's had. And like Rondo, I think that Halliburton brought this up on a podcast where he was like, Rondo was like, bro, like good luck. Like when he first, yeah. his first game as a pacer, because Rondo was with the Cavs at this point. And that was Halliburton's first game in Indiana. And he was like, oh, God, what does that mean? And so, like, Rondo was trying to plant the seed for, like, how controlling of a coach Rick Carlisle is. But Rick Carlisle has learned from his mistakes. And he's allowed Tyrese to be Tyrese and is not trying to take the, the ball out of his hands. And there's times when Rick needs to be the coach. And he needs to tell Tyrese, hey, quit running this play. Let's run this. I mean, I know you're seeing this, but I see this. Let's do that. And Tyrese is cool enough to accept that. 
He's publicly said that like, yeah, there's times the coaching staff see things that I'm not seeing. So it's a great, you know, player coach relationship. And I think that is what will benefit Carlisle's tenure here at the Pacers. Like it'll be like, not benefit. It'll, it'll be a factor in Carlisle's tenure here as the head coach. And I, I think they have a really, tre- like a really good coaching staff as well. So I'm sure Carlisle feels like he doesn't have to put in as much work maybe that he felt like he had to in his earlier days when he was trying to get himself established in the league. Absolutely. I think right now I love everything we've heard has just been glowing reviews of Carlisle. It's not like in any way, shape, or form that Napier-Yorkin season where things started to leak out, which it felt like that new news was coming out all the time about you know issues internally. We have not heard that. Um, at all. I think everyone's raved about Carlisle. And uh, I think at this point, hey, why why, why make any changes? He's holding players accountable. As good of a player as Benedict Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton are, they've been held accountable. And that is what a good coach is able to do when players show respect towards them. They don't complain about it. They accept it. They learn from it. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we will answer the last three questions of the Mailbag Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The mail's here! All right, the next question comes from Aaron M., faithful listener. Always appreciate Aaron and his retweets of the podcast on Twitter and, and just always supporting us. So, Aaron, thank you so much. If we don't tell you enough, we're, we're making sure we do that now. But his question is, what would you do if the Pacers landed the number one pick in the draft? Do you plan to do a live draft lottery reaction again? I think I'd pull a Hulk Hogan and just rip my shirt off and just just go absolutely wild. I mean, we're talking about the number one pick. And if we're being specific, we're talking about drafting Victor. All right? And I and I do believe Victor, Victor Wimanyama. I know, but Victor, when well, you just say the name Victor, well, it's just got well, PTSD for Pacer fans, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, look. Wimby, baby, Wimby. Exactly. But I and, and this I don't think this is a hot take, but I really think if we ever want the Pacers to be truly national televised, you know, national television relevant, 
it comes with drafting a player like Victor Wembanyama because yeah. it makes platforms like ESPN and TNT want to host your games to say, hey, look, this unbelievable rookie who's going to be a star, like, you got to see him. And right now, look, as good as a Tyrese Halliburton is, Pacers would need more. But you saw what happened with Milwaukee drafting Giannis. I mean, it just absolutely life-changing for them. Dallas getting Luka after this. I mean, that, that's a player that's must-see TV. I think Wembenyama could be that for the Pacers, and that's what we need. And as it relates to a live reaction podcast, you betcha. Yeah, I, I won't lie. If we get the first overall pick in the draft, I'll probably crap my pants from excitement. You like, might. I mean, honestly, like that would be the most unrealistic thing to ever happen to this Pacers organization. So if it actually happened to us, I, I would crap all over myself because I can't believe it. You know just what I mean? crap yourself. Just do it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, it's just wild to think about because it's like the the thought of Victor Wimbanyama on this Pacers team, Oof. Oof. it's just, it's franchise changing. There's no doubt about it. So it, it gets you a little bit excited thinking about the hypotheticals of what the roster could look like and you know, I've heard people say, like, what do you do if we get Wimbenyama? Do you trade Miles? It's like, I don't, I don't think you have to trade Miles. I think Wimbenyama has actually said he preferred to play the four. He did. And I, what is he, seven foot four? So, yeah. I mean, my goodness. I mean, you just talk about length and shooting. Like, he has it all. Like, he is one of the most generational talents that we've ever seen in the NBA. And, you know, some people say, like, he's more of a, he's a, more of a known prospect than LeBron. I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that, but it's probably – the most known prospect or the most hyped prospect since LeBron James. So definitely it does get you excited. I mean, the fact that this guy could change your franchise around, it's awesome. And people say, well, why would he want to go to Indiana? Small market. It's like international players don't care about the small market as much as American players do. So this is a win-win situation for the Pacers. Bocce answered the second question perfectly. We are doing a live reaction. That one was awesome last year. It was a lot of fun to be able to re respond in live act in live time to, to what was happening. So Definitely going to do that. I think a lot of people like that, and we will try our best to just be authentic as can be when we see the names being called, and hopefully we don't hear the Pacers until after the top four. Absolutely. Next question we got, we got John Byer. He said, uh, everyone talks about who they want in the draft and free agency. Who are some of the guys you absolutely do not want the Pacers to draft or go after this summer? Man, this is a tough one because I really haven't thought too much about it, Fachi. Uh, I know you didn't listen to our uh, group chat Pacers podcast, and a name that I brought up as somebody that could be interesting in the starter level range from the $15 million to, $15 million to $20 million range is Dylan Brooks. And I got a lot of slack. I got a lot of feedback from that. A lot of people were like, oh, my God, keep Dylan Brooks away from this team. And then I got some people saying, oh, Dylan Brooks, so he'd be really interesting. I'm going to just go out here and say that I'm going to retract what I said on that podcast. <laughs> I think that we've seen enough from Dylan Brooks throughout we his have. career. So even though I think he is a really good defensive player, yes. I do think that he would in, impact this team drastically defensively because look at um, as much negative things you can say about his game. He is always guarding the best player for the Memphis Grizzlies. It's not Desmond mm -hmm. Bain and it's not John Morant for sure, because John Morant's a bad defender. It's, it's, it's a uh, Dylan Brooks. So I do think that he would bring something, some edge. He would bring some defensive mentality to the Pacers, but I feel like there's too much baggage with him in terms of his bad play, bad shot selection. So I'm retracting my statements on that. And then in terms of the draft, this is where it gets really tough because I really like the top eight prospects. Um, and, and I will say that I actually like this prospect, just not for the Pacers. It's Keontae George from Baylor. I, I think that 
this is a really talented player, but if the Pacers draft another combo guard, I'm going to lose my mind. They got to get a wing and they got to get a forward. So that is one name I do not want to hear whatsoever. And another name that I'm not super in love with Flatchy. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. <laughs> I don't know why, but the kid from uh Joan Howard's son, uh, oh, Jed Howard, Jed Howard. Thank you. I knew it was different. Jed Howard, not a fan of Jed Howard. I yeah. don't like his fit with the Pacers team. So he is another name that I would not want to see on this roster. Okay. Uh, as it relates to Dylan Brooks, one of the things, uh, love the NBA and technical fouls this year. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was 18 technical fouls. I also think that we've seen the last couple of games as it relates to him. He's got no problem talking a big game when things go right. When things do not go his way, he does not want to talk to the media the last few games. I feel like that's a total cop out. You're going to talk smack when, when you're up. You got to be able to talk when you're down. Um, you got to be able to answer those questions. So Dylan Brooks, I, I respect his defense, but and I do think the Pacers need some chippiness, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's really the guy. As it relates to other players that I'm not interested in, just from a free agent standpoint, Miles Bridges don't want to bring that guy in the locker room. I think that um, you know last year it looked like that could have been a, a potential for the Pacers. Yeah. Um, other than that, I got no interest in like Russell Westbrook, Karis LeVert. Oh um, man, you want to bring Karis back? That'd be a fun uh, podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, that ship has sailed. Yeah, so, those are guys that I'm not interested in. Uh, Vucevic, I just feel like uh, Chicago even regrets making that trade. I don't know what they're going to do now, but those are players I'm not interested. In. But as it relates to the, can draft, I guess your draft player? Can I yes, guess? Yes, you can. I know you're going to guess it right. What do you Grady got? Dick? Grady Dick. I can't do it. Look, uh, I just don't see. This is such a pivotal pick for the Pacers, and I don't see him having that all-star-like potential. I think he could be a, a perhaps a good NBA player. But when you're picking around seven or so, I think you want someone with a bit of a higher ceiling. And right yeah. now, I just don't see it. So I could easily be wrong. Look, maybe he could have a 15-year career, but I don't see him being, hey, could this guy potentially be your number two next to Tyrese Halliburton? That I don't see. No, he's never going to be a number two next to Tyrese. I mean, if he is, and my goodness, I'll shake his hand and say, I did not expect this whatsoever. I'll but apologize. Yeah, for sure. Now, let me ask you this. What do you got? How soon is it? To, uh, how soon is too early to take Grady Dick for this Pacers team? Because they are at seven. What if the Wizards jump them and they get jumped again and they fall back to like nine or ten? Well, I think in a lot of, of mock drafts, I've seen him right around ten. I've seen like yeah. nine and ten. So it's just like, you know, that, that's definitely a, a fear in the back of my head of like they fall back. It's like he's a good value pick there. But it just feels like when you're looking at the, you know, the Jarris Walkers, the Cam Whitmores, the, the Taylor Hendricks, those to me feel like probably about top eight picks. And then I feel like there, there's that fall off mm-hmm. afterwards. So that's kind of my fear. If the Pacers fell to 10, it'd be a good value pick. Yeah, I, I would say nine or ten, I'd be okay with it. But the top, depending on who goes in the top eight, because there could yeah. be some guards that go that we're not like super thrilled about. But I will say, if there's other wings on the board and you take him, I will be a little bit disappointed. So that that's a good call there. I, I didn't want to, I don't want to say him because I knew you were going to say him. Yeah, but I I actually like Grady Dick as a prospect. I think he's. I know be you fine. do. I I know you do, and, and I'll be I'll admit that being a West Virginia fan with Kansas as their rival, I hate Kansas. But also, they've had a bunch of pros that honestly haven't worked out. A lot of them uh, over the year. Brent, oh yeah, Brent Rushmore, Pacer, Josh Jackson, um, uh, fourth overall, fourth overall. I mean, they they've had a, a ton of them throughout the years. That uh, you know, I, I'm just 
I don't know. I'm not sold on, on some of the pros they've been putting out. But they did have some guys that have worked out well. Obviously, Joel Embiid, Andrew Wiggins, but those are number one, they're number three overall picks. So a guy like Grady Dick, eh, not not sold. Not yeah, yet. he's more in the Agbaji range. Right? Exactly. Like one of those are good player, but you know, we gotta wait and see. How good is a, is the question mark, right? Exactly. Um, last question of the podcast for today for the mailbag part one. Comes from Jonas Salk the third. He said, Is Matherin a potential trade ship to move into the top three? If we are lottery losers, I believe that he should be, especially if that means getting Brandon Miller. I think this could have been the best question we got. Yeah. Because, look, Brandon Miller could very well be a star. He very well could. Didn't have a, a good end of the season when you factor in, you know, SEC tournament and, and March Madness. But you don't want to just judge a guy off of a couple of games. But I assume when you're talking about moving into the top three, you're talking about, like, the seventh overall pick. And Matherin, I assume. Yeah, um, to be. that for me feels like a lot because let's also think about this. Benedict Matherin just had the best rookie season we've probably seen in our lifetime for most of our listeners. Uh, I love what I saw. And now we're talking about trading him for, you know, kind of like a mystery box type of thing of, hey, this is a player that looked good in college, but, you know, we don't know yet. If we're trading Matherin and seven, I want someone a little bit more proven because mm. Matherin's still very young. It's not like this is a you know a guy who's getting a little bit older. He's under contract for the next few years. So to me, it feels like a bit much. I would if we're trading Matherin, I would prefer to be in the you know Mikel Bridges type scenario where you're getting a guy that feels like an all star. And, and we talked about that on the podcast with our top ten trade targets, right? And, and and that to me is where you have to really consider moving Matherin. I mean, it's kind of like what the Raptors did last year when they were talking about moving Scotty Barnes to land Kevin Durant. Mm -hmm. And you have to realize, okay, this is how big of a, a superstar you're going after with trading one of your rookies because of all their potential. And I would say Mikael Bridges is not on the same level as Kevin Durant, but I would also say that Matherin's on the same level as Scotty Barnes because Scotty Barnes is rookie of the year. So that to me is like the difference here. You're talking about a guy that's potential uh, – all rookie team, the first team, but he could be on the second team based on how people voted. Yeah. You know, so we don't know where he's going to land at right now. And I think that because of the way he was utilized the last half of the season, maybe even some fans got a little bit sour with him. Three point shooting has not been there, but one of the players he's always been compared to Fachi is Jimmy Butler. And we know that Jimmy Butler wasn't the most consistent player when he first got into the league. And it took him a little bit it took of time. Him a while. It did. To get to that level. And now you're seeing Jimmy Butler have a lights out game against the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis back after he was out for the remainder of game three with a back injury. So it's like Jimmy Butler is a dog. And I'm not even saying Matherin's Jimmy Butler or going to be Jimmy Butler. But if he has that in him, that potential in him, I'm not giving that up plus seven to give Brandon Miller because we don't know what Brandon Miller is. At least you know, at least you know with Matherin that he is a quality starter in this league when given the opportunity. And we know that Matherin is only going to grow. If Matherin doesn't grow and takes steps back, then shame on us for, for believing in him. But that to me seems very unrealistic. I think that Benedict Matherin has what it takes to jump into that all-star level within the next three to five years of his career. I do believe in Benedict Matherin that much. So when I'm saying I, I would trade him, I'm trading him for a for sure thing. Exactly. You don't That's trade the him. Difference. You don't trade him for what you what you hope could be something. Because look, we've seen plenty of top three picks end up being flops. Oh yeah. So 
you know, a lot of people at the time thought Lonzo Ball was going to be the next best thing, Markel Fultz. And and look what happened. Jason Tatum, <laughs> the best out of the top three. And Lonzo, now he we don't even know when he's going to come back from his injury. Markel Fultz slowly starting to kind of revive his career a little bit. But I think at this point, there's too much risk in the draft to trade what you already know, plus good value in the draft for another shot at someone. I, I think if you're going to do it, you trade pick seven plus future picks, not matter. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, of course. Matherin, you saw from the, this is a guy that, look, I, I know in the NBA and our just, just now it is, we want results now. But you brought up Scotty Barnes. I pulled him up. Look, he was the rookie of the year, deemed untouchable. Scotty Barnes did not have the type of second year that people wanted. Yeah. So in year one, Matherin outscored Scotty Barnes in both of his years. So he averaged more points. Shot relatively around 2% less. Shot better from three. Played about six minutes less. You know, the, the rebounding numbers were about a, a rebound and a half away. I mean, there was a lot to like in year one. And we still know, hey, Matherin's got to grow from a defensive standpoint, from a three-point standpoint. But what he showed in year one was extremely encouraging. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jimmy Butler that you mentioned, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Butler averaged about I want to say it was like two or, or four points per game his rookie year. It took him a couple of years. Um, but I think for a guy like Matherin, he could be special. So don't trade him for what's unknown. If you're going to trade him, you better be certain the guy you're bringing in could be a star. And those guys don't come along often. So seven and Matherin for three, it's too much for me. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Butler in his rookie season played 42 games for the Chicago Bulls, did not start one of those games. He averaged 8.5 minutes per game, 2.6 points, yep. Lachi, mm-hmm. 1.3 rebounds, and that's pretty much his stats for that season. And percentage-wise, he shot 44% from two and 18% from three. Next season, they play 82. he played in all 82 games. He started in 20 of them. He played 26 minutes a game. He shot 38% from three, 49% from two, and he jumped up to 8.6 points per game and four rebounds. After that, it was 13 points a game. Then it just kept going up 20, uh, 20, 21, 24, back down to 22, 19, 21, uh, 18, 20, 21 and a half, 21.4, 23. So it's like he's been pretty much a 20-point scorer after the first two years of his career or first three years of his career. But it took him three whole seasons to really get himself solidified. And in that fourth year is where he took that jump. Now, he was playing 38 uh, minutes a game under Tibbs in 13-14, his third year of the, of the year of, of his career. So minutes are going to be a huge part with Matherin. I think he's done a good job of staying out of foul trouble, knows how to get to the free throw line already. I think Matherin is probably ahead of schedule if you're looking at he, where he they were starting is. at. So I just, go ahead. No, I just think so many people are like, Nah, he he struggled at times. Like, let's try and trade him for someone else that could be a star. It's like, guys, let, let's just let's pause for a second because where he's at in, in year one, I mean, we were thrilled with what Duarte showed in year one. And he was averaging, you know, a hair over 13 points per game, you know, had some really good moments. Matherin had some really big games, really yeah. big games. And I I think that in year two, I'm really excited to see you know, what he has in store. I know how hard he works. We heard about even his pre-draft workouts. Uh, he was coming back for more. You know, he, they couldn't get him out of the gym. So it's like, give this guy some time. He's not even 21 years old. It's just, hey, he could be a star, but don't just get ready to trade him for another guy that is unproven that maybe could be a star as well. Do you have Matherin stats up right now? 
Uh, I pull him up right here. I'm All right, let me let me go ahead and read Jimmy Butler's stats for his career. So eighteen point two points per game, mm-hmm. five point three rebounds, four point two assist, one point six steals, and a half a block per game. Now, percentages wise, is where I wanted to look at as well. Three point percentage, thirty two percent for his career from three. Now fifty percent from two. And then the free throw percentage is 84%. So I'm just curious what Matherin's numbers are in comparison. So in, in year one, Matherin averaged 16.7 points per game. So, I mean, Jimmy didn't do that until year four. Uh, rebounds, 4.1 rebounds per game. Uh, right. Assists, you know, we obviously know. It's not Matherin's specialty. Uh, 1.5. Okay. Uh, he shot 43.4% from the field. He shot 32.3% from three-point land. And if that is the worst that we're thinking, like, hey, he's got a lot of room to grow as a shooter, I think Matherin could come back next year and shoot, say, 35% from three. 32.3 is what Jimmy Butler shoots for his yeah. career. That's hilarious. Yeah. So these are the exact same numbers. And you did field goal percentage or two-point percentage? Because I said uh, two-point percentage. Just field goal percentage. Yeah. So what was, it, what was it, 40 uh, what? Uh, uh, 42.3. Oh, okay. 43.4. Sorry. 43.4 for yep. his field goal percentage. And Jimmy Butler is 46.7. So mm-hmm. they're not that far off. And then you said rebounding-wise, he had what? 4.1. Okay, and Jimmy Butler's at 5.3. So honestly, besides the steals and the assist, they have some they have some similar stats. Now, one thing I do want to look at here, Foch, is the free throw attempts. For his career, Jimmy Butler averages 6.6 free throw attempts. What is Matherin's? 5.8 as a rookie, which is incredible. Yeah. It really is incredible as a rookie because think about this. You're getting the rookie treatment out there, not the star treatment. Once you become yeah. an all-star, you, know, you get a couple favorable wh- whistles here and there. Matherin's got a long way to go before he earns that star call. So to already be averaging you know, 5.8 free throw attempts as a rookie, it's just really impressive. I, I couldn't agree more. But, Fachi, let's go ahead and wrap up today's episode. This is part one of the mailbag. We'll be back with part two later this week, maybe next week. We're not sure yet, but we're going to have that part two for you. So let the people know where they can find us on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok, setting the pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, go to youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast and make sure you subscribe, like the videos, and let us know what you think in the comments section. And with that being said, Fachi, if you're excited for Benedict Mathern to take that next step forward in your two, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth. Here's the mail that never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want a whale mail. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company.
serving collectors since 1945.